God, we come before you as worshipers or as people who want to worship you. We may not be quite there yet. You know that some of us are in dry spots. Some of us are tired. Uh, some of us are here just out of habits. But I pray that you would honor that. I pray that your word would cut into our marrow. That it would, um, that you would search us. That you would do that not to. Uh, make us feel guilty or beat us over the head, but uh, give us life, God. So your word is life, and over these next few minutes, I trust that your word will speak to your people, God, and may you nourish us with the knowledge of yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Right. So we are going through, uh, this is our penultimate lesson on the incommunicable attributes of God. So the attributes that God does not, that we do not share with God. Uh, so... Last week, Pastor, we, last week we started the omnis, meaning the all. Pastor Michael taught on the omnipresence of God, meaning that God is everywhere. Today we talk about the omniscience of God. And I have this defined for you here from the Latin omni, all, and scientia, scientia, uh, knowledge. So God is all knowing. So I, I have down here just these two Sentences that God knows all things and that his knowledge of all things is perfect, complete, and comprehensive. And a few verses to get us started off. Uh, the first is this, First John 3.20. This is actually part of a larger verse, but it says that God knows everything. In Psalm 147, it says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. So it's not just knowledge, it's the understanding of all things that are to be known. God understands all things as they, from every angle. And we'll talk a little bit more about it in our next point. And Job 37, God is is identified as him who is perfect in knowledge. And if you guys have read Job, do you guys remember? Uh, Job is, he, he's going through this terrible time in his life. The worst, one of the worst stories of human suffering in history. And when God talks to him, God has a series of questions for Job, and he asks him, do you know this is the way the world works? This is the way the universe works. This is, do you know, can you measure the things that I do? And it's this long series of questions for Job. Uh, like, we, we try to explain life. We try to explain the way that our lives work with our limited understanding. And at best, we probably know, like, Point zero 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 one percent of what there is to know, of what we need to know, and God says you we have this limited, very limited perspective, but God knows all things, and not only does He know all things, but He knows them fully, comp- comprehensively from every angle. So Job is a great book to read if we're ever wonder if we're ever feeling um, smart, if we're ever wondering. Uh, I wonder, like, if there is more beyond what I know. It, it's it's a, such a humbling book. So that's uh, the verse from Job. So we have a few points today. Uh, we have that God's knowledge is comprehensive. We have that God's knowledge is God knows all things past, present, future. That God, and we have an excursus, a question that may come up as we're thinking about the topic of omniscience. Uh, the question was Jesus omniscient, and then our final two points: God knows Himself and God knows us. So that's where we're going to go. We're going to try to hit all this uh, in the next uh, few minutes. So God's knowledge is comprehensive. So I am going to ask 
Can I ask the Quans right here if you will read, uh, Linda, can I ask you to read Isaiah 40 and Justin, can I have you read Romans 11, please? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge? And show him the way of understanding? Oh, depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has been given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Awesome. These are amazing verses. God is, God knows all things. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go through a few um, characteristics of God's knowledge. And uh, we'll hit actually First Chronicles um, in just a second. But Isaiah 40, it talks about the... That, that God, who, it asks this question: Who, who does God consult with? We talked, we spoke last, uh, I think it was two or three weeks ago. We spoke about the immutability of God; that God does not change. Because to say that God, uh, and ch- well, can change implies that He's not perfect. But here, God is saying, God is asking this question: Whom, whom did He consult? Whom did God consult? And who made Him understand? He's saying that there, God doesn't learn. When we, when we pray to God. God isn't learning a new situation about our life. God isn't going, oh, I'm so glad that you informed me because that gives me the knowledge I need to do whatever it is that I need to do. So God doesn't learn. And uh, from Romans, it says, it, it talks about how how wide and expansive and how huge and all, all-encompassing God's knowledge is. Again, it asks this question, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? So a few characteristics of about God. And actually, let me read First uh, Chronicles since it's here. Uh, it says, Serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. And this is a preview of our final point. But God knows what is going on in every human being's heart. And he knows our thoughts, our intentions, our our uh, motivations. He, he understands all this. So I don't have the... Uh, I just have the Bible verses here, but if you want to take notes, I have uh, five points. Questions, yeah? It's, uh, no, it's not. Thank you for pointing that out. I'm pretty sure it's not a Sharpie. Last week, last week, PM. Okay. Thank you for watching that for me. This is good. Okay. Uh, so God's knowledge is intuitive. So I'm going to set up um, God's type of knowledge and our type of knowledge. And ours is discursive. So what does this mean? I spoke earlier. God asked this question. Who is the counselor? Thanks for catching that. I think I'm a bit too first. 
right. So um, God's knowledge is intuitive versus discursive. So our knowledge is discursive. And what I mean by that is that we all, all the knowledge that we have, we get it by learning. So um, I'm, I'm going to meet someone. I might meet a new person, and then they're going to tell me stories about their travels and their life. And I go, oh, that's more knowledge for me to have. God's knowledge is just he knows. He doesn't need anyone to teach him. Uh, so we, when we learn, we it's by way of we might go to school, we might learn from other people, uh, we might observe things, we might logically deduce that certain things are a certain way. But God's knowledge is is immediate. He just knows. He doesn't need anyone to tell him. That's God's type of knowledge. He doesn't discover anything. We are discovering things all the time. God does not discover anything, and He doesn't forget anything either. Uh, the other thing is. This is why these work. Uh, okay, here we go. Intuitive versus discursive. We got that right there. Um, and then uh, simultaneous, not successive. So. Let's say that we ask God a question, and we ask God something like this. God, how many grains of sand are there on the earth? And in, if we would ask that of someone else, they're going to have to come up with a way to count all the grains of sand in the earth. So they'll start counting, maybe, or they'll find some type of measurement, and they'll estimate there are this many quadrillion grains of sand on the earth. But God, he just knows. It's, he doesn't need to. God's not a supercomputer. He doesn't. There's not a process to his learning. God, it's, there's not a process to God's knowledge. God just knows all things. So it's simultaneous, not successive. God's his, his, The way that he perceives everything is complete and instantaneous. For us, when we, our, our knowledge is, uh, or when we process knowledge, it's we need to take in all the facts. We need to put a list and we need to say, okay, this is the way that I'm going to approach this problem or this is the way I'm going to approach this t- this area of study and I'm going to go through it bit by bit, piece of information by piece of information. For God, it's just he knows all things simultaneously. Another thing about God is uh, it's independent, not dependent. So very similar to the verses that um, Linda and Justin read. God does not rely on an outside force to tell him things. All things are in himself. He knows all things. So our first uh, few lessons, we talked about the aseity of God and the self-sufficiency of God. And the point is that God just is. God doesn't rely on other people. He doesn't rely on other things to define him. He just is. So, in the same way, God does not, there's not this cloud of knowledge that kind, that he relies on. It's just in himself, all this knowledge. So that is, uh, independent versus us, dependent. We're, we're always relying on other people, other things, to give us the information that we need. Uh, God's knowledge is infallible. And our knowledge is fallible. So not only does God know all things, God also has a proper perspective on all things. And this is a really, uh, this is a, a very fine detail that I think has so much importance because you, I mean, just if you, if you are following the news at all, if you look at different, the way that, people report the news, they'll have the same set of facts, but they're going to interpret it differently, right? 
Uh, and someone's wrong. Uh, there's always going to be someone wrong because even amongst the, the people in this room, if we were to have a set of facts, we're all going to come in with our prejudices and presuppositions and no one's going to have a completely correct understanding of the way that things are. But for God, he has a proper perspective on all things that are to be known. God's knowledge is infinite. Uh, so, uh, God, he knows, he doesn't, he not only knows all things, and he not only unha- has a proper perspective on all things, but his, uh, for the, the most, uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but I re- we have this passage that I read, First Chronicles 28-9, God searches the whole heart. Uh, he, he knows that the most complex thing in the world is the human heart, or the way that we the way that we are as human beings. And he, not only uh, things in the world, but also in us, he understands the way that the human heart works. He understands why we do the things we do. He understands us exhaustively and thoroughly. So every every bit of us, every bit of information in the world, God knows. So that is our first point, that God, God's knowledge is comprehensive. God cover, God's knowledge covers all things. Last week, Pastor Michael spoke on the omnipresence of God that God is over all things, and this is very related. God sees all things. God is aware of every single thing that's happening uh, from the smallest minute detail to the largest cataclysmic world event. God knows all things. So God's knowledge is comprehensive. So I'll open up for any questions, comments, before we move on. Okay. Um, Let's go on to God knows the past, present, and future. Uh, let me, before I continue on with this point, let me just say that for most, for most of church history, it was just, this was just assumed. People didn't really question this. It wasn't until, um, a few hundred years ago that people thought, oh, well, maybe it's not as cut and dry as we believe it to be. So I'm going to go through a few verses and I'll talk about this, something called divine foreknowledge. I can accept that God knows all things past. I can accept that God knows all things present. But does God really know all things future? And that's a big area of debate, and we'll talk about the different viewpoints. But uh, God knows all things past from Acts fifteen eighteen. The Lord who makes these things known from, from of old. This is talking about how God knows everything that's happened in the past, I am aware of. And can I ask uh, this table right here, the, um, the Wongs and future Ong, to, uh, can I ask each of you to take one of these verses? Starting with Jordan, and then we'll just go around. Okay. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. All right. Thank you. Uh, th- this is from this is God talking about the prophet Jeremiah, and he's saying, "I know all things future as well." So this not only not only you right now not not only do you exist right now, Jeremiah, but before you e- were even born, I knew who you were going to be. I knew what you were going to do. I knew every detail of your life. And uh, so God knows the future of people personally. Isaiah 44. Can I have Tracy read that, please? Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I am appointed, since I appointed an ancient people. Let him declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. 
Have I not told you from of old and declared it? Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. All right, thank you. There is, in this passage, God is questioning the idols of the people. And he asked this question kind of sarcastically. Um, who is he, everyone that claims to be God or a deity or superior to us, are you really like him? Let him pro- proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Let him declare what is to come and what will happen. He's mocking. He's kind of in a mocking tone, facetiously or sarcastically. God is saying, let all your other idols, why don't you let them tell you, let them tell me what's going to happen in the future. They can't do it because only I can do it. There is no one else like me. So God, Yahweh alone, knows the future. So God knows the past. God knows the future. Uh, Matthew 10. Can I have you read that, Maggie? All right, thank you. So this is God knowing all things present. God knows all things comprehensively, presently, right now. So um, this this verse kind of it's it's it rings true in the Chan household right now because um, we have hair all over the place. It's I think like I'm I'm stressed. Christine is post pregnancy. There she's got the hair on the ground, and uh, I'm swiffering every other day, and there's all this stuff. God knows every time a hair falls from our head. God knows when he looks at nature, every time a leaf falls, like right now it's the leaves are falling from the trees. He knows every single one of these. Of all the hundreds of millions, perhaps billions of trees there are in the world, leaves are falling, leaves are growing. God knows about every single one of those leaves. So in the present, God is fully aware of everything that is happening in the world, in the cosmos, in our own bodies uh away in our in our households god knows all things so that is the comprehensiveness of god and it's happening right now so everything that's happening in this room god is aware of it god knows what's happening so uh these are the verses i want to talk about in regards to the past and the present and the future i have this verse from ephesians 1 11 uh, let me have you read this one and i'll explain the significance of this in just a second sure um, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will all right thanks a few key words in this verse predestined uh the purpose of god and the counsel of God's will. This implies a looking forward, predestined. There is uh, the destined, there's a destination. Whenever we talk about a destination, implied in that word is, it's, it's kind of, um, implied in the word is that there is sometime in the future, there will be a place that we will be, or there will be somewhere that we will go. God is talking about his people. God has predestined us. God is for whatever his purposes are, we don't understand them all, but God and his purposes have has predestined us. And he has, it talks about the will, the counsel of his will, the way that he is going to bring about things. And this is, this touches upon the different types of knowledge that people, the different types of divine foreknowledge or the different views of divine foreknowledge. And what I mean by that is there's, have you guys heard this whole debate about does God really know the future? Is God really in control of the future? Um, did he really predestine us to be saved? Have you guys heard these discussions before? If you haven't, you eventually will because it's a huge topic of discussion. And 
I'm going to present to us four, we're going to call it divine foreknowledge, and uh, I feel like I've messed this up so bad now. Uh, divine, yeah, it's not coming up. So, divine foreknowledge. All right. Do you guys think that God knows all things? I guess it's um, asking that question in this room. Uh, there, We might make some assumptions, or I might be able to make some assumptions. So let me um, ask another question. Have you guys, do you guys remember, over the course of the series, we've brought up this term open theism a few times, open theism. So what open theism is, it's a type of viewpoint that that uh, became really popular maybe 20-ish years ago. And there were some theologians, some pastors that thought, you know, we we believe that God um, is a good God. We believe that God is a loving God. But there's all this evil in the world. And we can't accept that God is okay with that. We can't accept that God planned that to happen. So what they say is, that God, that the deity of God, there, there is, and God's knowledge, He doesn't know what's going to happen in the future. So God learns alongside with us how things are going, how how things work, and what is happening. So He knows. We can accept that God knows the past. We can accept that God knows the future. But I'm sorry that we that God knows the present. But does God know the future? And these open theists will say. No, God does not know the future. He only knows the future as it is, as the present is unfolded. So he doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He doesn't know, he knows the possibilities, but he doesn't know what will actually happen. So they say that the future is open to God. God doesn't really know what's going to happen a hundred years from now. So a couple problems with that viewpoint. And this is, this is a type of viewpoint that's most, I would say, non-Christians will have that God is kind of just learning alongside us. Um, some evangelical Christians, I'll put that in quotes, uh, this is not within the pale of orthodoxy. Um, they will say, yeah, this is, God is, because God wants to understand his creatures, because God wants to condescend and sympathize with his creatures, he, he self-limits himself, so he doesn't know the future. But the a couple problems with that is that number one, it really shakes your the, the basis of your hope. Does can will God really handle the future? If God doesn't know what's going to happen in my life in the next 20, 30, 40 years, that doesn't make me feel feel really comfortable. It doesn't make me feel really safe. Another problem with that is that biblically it's not really backed up. Um, there's it, it just it just makes it seem like God is. Uh, going along with the rest of us, and he's kind of it, it, it present to me. It presents the image of God just wringing his hands. Oh, I don't, I'm not comfortable with this happening. Um, and it also, Pastor Michael taught on the eternality of God a couple of weeks ago, right? This it goes completely against the eternality of God. If God really is an eternal God, it means that He stands outside of time. God exists outside of time. We as creatures exist within the framework of time, but God exists outside the framework of time. God exists above and beyond whatever the God existed before creation. God will exist after creation uh, ends. God just is. God is eternal. So open theism is something that 
was it was a big area of debate uh, a couple decades ago, and some people still hold to it. Uh, so that's one point, one aspect, or one view of divine foreknowledge. The other type of foreknowledge that people advocate, the, the other view, is simple foreknowledge. So they're simple foreknowledge. I'll just put FK. And what this says is that God, he just knows what's going to happen. But God isn't going to, but when God ordains things to be, it's it's just kind of, he doesn't really, he doesn't really, make them happen he just knows it's going to there is a future so it's kind of like god is a a cosmic psychic he knows what's going to happen but god doesn't really have any play he doesn't really play into how things are going to work out so just think of god as this really smart psychic who knows the future and that's it he's not going to do anything about it he's not going to uh ordain things to be okay so that's simple foreknowledge and this is probably the popular conception of God if you're for non-Christians is just that's it's just that that's all it is um and then there is something called middle knowledge and i don't know if this is something that was new to me until several years ago middle knowledge and people that advocate this they're called molinists because it started with it became popular in the 15th century from a Jesuit priest because he looked at the scriptures and he said, okay, God is God knows the future, but also um, does God does God really predestine people? Does how can people have free will if God knows the future? And what people will say, what the Molinists will say is that what God has done is he's he has in his mind he has all potential realities, all potential universes, all everything that could have been that's in his mind. And what he does is he chooses the world, the universe in which all things work out according to according to his best plan. So whatever brings God most glory and whatever causes whatever brings salvation to most people, that's the type of world, that's the potential world that he's chosen. So of all the quadrillion types of Variations of reality and the universe. He's chosen this because this is this world in which we live is the world in which the most people are saved and in which God is glorified. That's it's it's a very um, it's complicated. So I have friends who are actually the school that I went to, Talbot. They some of the biggest proponents of this type of knowledge. They are they teach at the school that I went to. They're, they call themselves Molinists, and they the argument is much more philosophical than it is scriptural. They have they one of the key texts is from Matthew eleven, and it's not in your in your on your sheet, but um, let me read it for you. Jesus says this. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Here, Jesus is talking to these people. He's saying, if you did this, then this would have happened. And Jesus is saying that he knows the possible outcomes of people's choices. And thus, the Molinists will say that we also can, 
we, we also think that God knows all possible outcomes. Thus, he wants to preserve the free will of man. Um, he also wants to uphold his glory. So their solution is Molinism. It's called middle knowledge. It's so complicated, I don't fully understand it. I've read um, a lot of articles about this, and I've talked to some friends who are that, who are Molinists, and um, I don't really get it. Um, but what it, what it really is, is that people are trying to bridge the gap between, if you've heard the term Arminian, Arminians and Calvinists, they say, well, we can't believe, we can't agree with either side fully, but what this does is it bridges the gap for them, philosophically at least. So that's their way of solving this this issue of God's foreknowledge, God's God's knowledge of all things, His omniscience, and also the fact that that there is that people have free will. They say, and that God wants to honor that free will, and God also wants to honor His own name. So. Um, Molinism, look it up if you're interested. It's it's this huge rabbit hole, and uh, you'll hear a lot of really um, descriptive, uh, for me, complicated um, readings. But that's what it is. And then let me talk. Let me talk about the Calvinist view, or kind of the uh, Reformed view, or uh, maybe the more biblical view, perhaps. That God knows all things because God in his wisdom and love and knowledge has foreordained all things, all these things to be. So God knows, for example, that we would become believers. God knows that at some point in the future, perhaps our family members, or our friends will become believers. And the reason he knows that is because he has made that to be. In God's counsel, in his will, he has said, for the sake of my own glory, for the sake of the love of my people, I am going to do these things. So everything that has ever happened, every every car accident, every breakup, every um, birth, all this has happened to bring you and me to a knowledge of himself. So this is um, what the, the leadership of the church holds to, which is the Calvinist view, which is that God foreordains all things to be. This is how God can know that all things are going to be a certain way in the future. Any questions or comments? Uh, the Bible doesn't address other dimensions or other realms. Um, it doesn't really speak in those terms. It talks about reality as it is right here and now. Um, are you talking about like... Yeah, I think the closest uh, thing would be what I spoke about, Molinism or or middle knowledge, meaning that there could have been other realities that don't in actuality exist, but in theory they exist. Um, but the Bible doesn't, as far as I know, it doesn't talk about those things. So Calvin assumes there's only one knowledge, one reality, one dimension. Correct. Correct. Uh, Shawn is asking about alternate alternate universes and um, other dimensions. There's just the spiritual and the, the earthly, and those things are going to come together when creation, uh, when uh, new creation is come together. So there is a spiritual realm. There's no like that. It's like exactly in the physical form yet. So. Okay. Thanks. Any other questions, comments? Yes. Sorry, just. Is that the, there's all these scenarios in the future? 
Exactly. And God chooses one of them yes. and, and takes a track. Yeah. But, but who creates those, those types of I think the so, problem with that is that who creates those scenarios? Yeah. So the the creators <coughs> of those scenarios are uh, free creatures with free will who in in themselves they made choices to do certain things. So if you consider that there are six, seven billion people in the world right now, um, and if I mean one person can change the course of history, right? Yeah. Potentially. Um, think of all the billions of people that have existed in the world, and think of how all. So, it's probably the like ten to the trillion power that that many numbers of possibilities and realms. So there would have been. Uh, so a Molinist might say that there is a world in which September 11th didn't happen, and but God, in His wisdom, decided that. September 11th should have happened because this brings the most glory to himself. So that, that, that's what they say. Um, you really have to get really deep into the philosoph- philosophical aspect of it. And, um, yeah, it, it's hard to argue against it scripturally other than to say that scripture doesn't really talk about it. There's no counterverses <laughs> because I don't think it's really a thing to be considered. Um, but it's people that just are trying to I mean, all this really comes down to is people are trying to reconcile the fact that there is a God who loves the world and loves people, and that there is evil in the world, and how can there be? That uh, for for the average person, that's what it comes down to. Um, any other questions or comments? Okay, let me go on. Um, I, I'm going to. I have on your sheets. Do you guys have this uh, question? Was Jesus omniscient? Okay, I'm going to save this for the end because uh, it's kind of like a side excursus. I want to talk about the more important things to me, uh, or to me, these things seem more important, that God knows himself and then that God knows us. And if we have time, we'll talk about was Jesus omniscient. So, um, can I have uh, Allison and Tay, can I have you read... Allison, can you read Matthew 11 and Tay, 1 Corinthians 2, please? All right, this is again talking about the Trinity. Notice how the Trinity keeps popping up in our lessons because the Trinity addresses so many things about the character of God. And here... Jesus is talking about the relationship between the Father and the Son. So who knows this Father completely? It's Jesus the Son. And who knows Jesus completely? It's the Father. There is this amazing intimate relationship. And they know each other completely. If you want if you want to consider what is the best relationship that has ever existed, it's between the Father and the Son. All marriages aspire to have these two people that know each other fully and completely. But that is never going to happen. Right? We're never going to understand our spouse's in- intentions or the way they view things fully. But God knows himself. God has no shadow of doubt about who he is and what's important to him. And then, Tay, can I have you read 1 Corinthians 2? For the Spirit searches everything, even, even the depths of God. But who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. All right. So we've got the Father, we've got the Son, and then who can know the Spirit of God unless the Spirit is in God? So it's, it's, there's this Trinitarian 
terminology in these two verses. God never has any question about his knowledge of things. God never questions what he himself does. Uh, there are psychoanal. There's a, a, a theologian by the name of Carl Henry, and he says this: Psychologists and psychoanalysts speak of deep areas of subconscious experience of which human beings are hardly aware. He's saying that within each of us, we have these thoughts in the deep, deep recesses of our minds. Think Inception, right? That we don't even know are there, but they exist. But Carl Henry and Scripture says there is no such thing in God. God knows every single motive that he has. God knows every single bit of himself. He understands himself completely. He's completely self-aware. We talk about self-awareness as a positive character trait because it allows us to interact with people and it helps us out socially and it helps us out in terms of how our lives are lived out. No one is more self-aware than God because God knows himself fully and completely. God never has any confusion about who he is. Okay, any questions about God knows himself? Okay, I'm going to move on to God knows us. And this is where it really matters because we are all extremely complex creatures with different motivations and different um, thoughts. And I I spoke um, last week about how, not last week, my last lesson, I brought up this book that I'm reading. It's called Unoffendable. And the author, he talks about how we don't really ever have a right to be angry at someone because we don't know why they're angry, really. We don't know what goes behind their anger. We don't know uh, their intentions in getting angry. But God knows us completely and fully. How much does he know, know us? I'm going to have um, I'm going to have the five of you in this area read. I'm going to start with Ed and then can I have Jessica and then we'll go down here. But Ed, can I have you read Psalm 69, please? All right, uh, and then Jessica, Jeremiah. All right, these two verses talk about how evil our hearts are. It talks about how uh, there there is in each of us a darkness, and we may not even be aware of it. We won't know how the potential we have for evil acts and evil thoughts until we're presented in a certain situation. And all of us have at least, hopefully by the grace of God, a few more years to live, maybe decades to live. And who knows what's going to happen to us? Who knows what types of situations we'll be placed in? And who knows what's going to come out at that point? Because for us right now, we might be able to... Uh, process information we, we might be able to treat people well we might be able to stay sane but pushed hard enough we're capable of a lot of darkness and God says I know these things about you even if you don't know it yourself um, and let's go to this table Andrew can I have you read Matthew 6 do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask alright God knows everything that we need uh, Shawin can I have you read Acts 15 Thanks. And then Ezekiel 11, 5. Charlotte, can I have you read that? And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and he said to me, Say, thus says the Lord, so you think, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. All right, thank you. 
God knows us completely and fully. I was listening to the podcast This American Life. I don't know if you guys if you guys listened to that. Uh, two weeks ago, they had an episode where it, a story about a guy who went to college and he was emailing back and forth with his future roommate. This was when he was about to start college, and uh, he had this. He he came from I think it was Uganda. And he, he had this really long, you know, these African names are really long. It, it was like 14 syllables. And um, his roommate responded to his email and he said, oh, wow, it's so cool. I love your name. I can't believe that I'm rooming with an actual Ugandan person. I'm so excited. So his friends back home, the the guy that who had this long name, they told him, dude, he totally thinks that you're from another country. He was He, he grew up in the U.S. Um, you should play it out. And just like when you meet him for the first time, just – Pretend to be a Ugandan person, and he, they, his friends knew that he could do this accent really well. So what he does is the first day of school, when when they move in, uh, he puts on this kind of African-looking shirt. Uh, he wears these like sandals, and he starts speaking with an accent. And what he's thinking is, just for the first minute, I'm going to just mess around with my roommate, and it's going to be funny. Um, but what happened was this, his roommate's family came in with his whole family including his 13 year old sister and the 13 year old sister was so enamored she was oh this is so cool and she had all this question all these questions for him so he thought okay i gotta keep it up for a few more minutes but this was move-in day meaning that there were people all around and everyone wanted to meet everyone else so he met all everyone on the floor all their families and all in character as this true ugandan kind of like this ugandan prince and so he thought okay I got to keep it up for a few more hours, but then the so many more people around the school found out about who he was. They're like, "Oh, we got this really cool Ugandan person," and um, so he he had to keep it up for a week and then two weeks. And it turned out that he he kept it up for I think it was something like uh, a whole semester. And um, like there was this girl that he was romantically interested in, and she thought that she was this type of person. And the the interviewer asked this this guy. Why Why did you do it for so long? Because you had so many opportunities to expose yourself. And then you could just tell them it was a joke. And he said, it was because people loved who I was. They loved the, the character that I was playing. What this guy did is not very different from what all of us do, right? We all want to present an image. We all want to be a certain type of person. Um, by the way we dress, by the way we speak, by the type of church we go to or the type of company we go to, we want to present an image of ourselves because we want to be liked. And do you know why? Because we know in the deep recesses of our hearts that something in us is inadequate. There's something in us that's ugly. But how does God respond to that? Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my paths and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows all of us completely, and this is so freeing for us. Because what we really want is to be known fully, and there is no one that is going to know us fully, ever. Uh, even couples that have been married for 60 years, they don't know each other fully. When people say, oh, like they know each other so well, they don't, they're, they're speaking in very a romantic sense, but really people don't know. I mean, you can hide something from other people for decades, right? 
but God says that I know you completely and fully and I still love you. Hebrews 4, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than two, any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give accounts. So there's no hiding from God. God knows us fully and completely, and yet God still loves us. And let me end with this final verse from Isaiah 48. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth you were called a rebel. God knows that we would rebel against him. But for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. God is not going to cut us off because he sees something ugly in us. And we all think that God loves some future version of us where we're perfect. But God says, I know you right now. I know how evil you are. I know how rebellious you are. But I still am so committed to you because I love you that much. And this is why the omniscience of God really matters to us. Because... We're going to go home. We're going to sin probably sometime this week. We're going to say things and think things we shouldn't say or think. But God says, I'll discipline you. I'll rebuke you. But I am still going to love you. I'm never going to reject you. Here's this quote from Thomas Cranmer. And I'm going to close with it. Uh, Thomas Cranmer was a Puritan writer. And this is what he says. Almighty God, to you... All hearts are open, all desires are known, and from you no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord, amen. So I'm going to end with that prayer right now. Know that you are loved completely uh, and you're known fully, and that is a wonderful thing. Okay? Thanks. You guys, you guys can talk to me later about this. Was Jesus omniscient if he wants? It's a cool point, but we don't have time for it. Thanks, guys.